Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be covering verses 1 to 14 this morning. Paul was writing to his churches in the Roman province of Galatia, expressing his shock that they had so soon turned away from the gospel. Some false teachers had traveled through Paul's churches, teaching them that people had to obey the law of Moses and that the men had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul insisted that the gospel he proclaimed to them not only came directly from Jesus Christ himself, but the apostles had also given their blessing for him to continue preaching his gospel. In our passage today, Paul moves on to give one more argument for the gospel he preaches. His gospel is what the Old Testament scripture teaches. Now, before we jump into the text, I need to warn you that our passage this morning is pretty deep and complicated, which is true of much of Paul's letters. I suppose I could just give you three main points and some illustrations, which would be more entertaining and easier to follow. But I want you to see more than just three points and some illustrations. I want you to see the logic and flow of Paul's arguments, and I want you to see how to interpret the Bible for yourself. I'll admit that's not as easy to listen to as three points and numerous stories and illustrations. Understanding scripture is often hard work and takes a lot of concentration, but it's well worth the effort. Anyway, let's start by reading chapter 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you not trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Let's pray. Lord, the message this morning is complicated and difficult for us to understand. We ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit to help us focus and understand what you want to say to us through your word this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter 2, verse 21, Paul said that if you could become righteous before God by obeying the law of Moses, Christ would have died for nothing. In other words, Jesus didn't need to die if we were able to keep the law of Moses perfectly. But in the next verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Jesus did die. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, Paul stood up in front of them and clearly explained about the crucifixion of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. That was the message they believed. Paul's implied point seems to be that if the Galatians now started keeping Jewish food laws and getting circumcised in order to be saved, it would be like Christ had died for nothing. So Paul has a question for them in verse 2. 
I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? The question I have is, how did they know they had received the Holy Spirit when they got saved? After all, most people don't feel any different when they get saved. I bet most of you didn't speak in tongues or do miracles right after you got saved. I know I didn't. Well, according to verse 5, it seems that when the Galatians got saved, at least some of the new Galatian Christians began to do miracles. So Paul's question is, did this working of miracles by the Spirit begin right after you received the Spirit and were saved? Or was it only later, after you listened to the false teachers and started keeping Jewish food laws that the power to do miracles came upon you? Paul knows that the miracles began right after they were saved by faith. Let me say this another way. When Paul established the Galatian churches, he taught them that salvation is by grace through faith alone. When they accepted the Lord, the Holy Spirit powerfully manifested himself among them so that at least some of them did miracles. It was only later that false teachers taught that to be truly saved, they must keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. So Paul is asking, did the Holy Spirit do miracles among you before or after the false teachers arrived? Before they arrived, of course. In the case of the Galatians, the Holy Spirit provided tangible evidence that they had already been saved by grace through faith before the teachers arrived. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that everyone will do miracles or speak in tongues when they get saved. The Holy Spirit often works in different places at different times in different ways. But historically, when the Galatians got saved, it was accompanied by miracles. When Paul asks in verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? The experience Paul is talking about here is probably persecution. Apparently, the new believers could have avoided some of the persecution they had encountered if they had only kept Jewish food laws and got circumcised. So Paul asks, was all that persecution all for nothing? Paul then makes clear that what he is teaching is not some new doctrine. Paul is teaching what the Old Testament had taught all along. And for examples, Paul quotes from Genesis, Deuteronomy, Habakkuk in the following verses. Let's read verses 6 and 7. So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Now remember that the word believe and the word faith come from the same word in Greek. So this could have been translated, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Understand then that those who have belief are the children of Abraham. But that's not good English. The point is that believe or belief and faith are the same idea. Anyway, verses 8 and 9 continue. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. When Paul had written back in verse 6 
that Abraham believed God and it was accredited him for righteousness. And in verse eight, that all nations will be blessed through you. Those are quotes from Genesis. In other words, the gospel that Paul has been preaching was not only revealed personally to Paul by God himself, as Paul says in chapter one, and it was not only confirmed by the apostles, as Paul says in chapter two, and it was not only confirmed by the Holy Spirit in the experience of the Galatians in chapter 3, 1 to 5, but Paul's gospel of salvation by grace through faith is also backed up by Old Testament scripture. Paul points out that Galatians 12 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous righteousness. To be righteous here is equivalent to being justified. In fact, righteous and justify come from the same word in both Hebrew and Greek. Last week, I explained that to be justified, as Paul uses the word, is a legal term, meaning to be declared in right standing with the court, or in this case, to be declared in right standing before God. To be righteous or to be justified is to be just as if I'd never sinned, even though I was guilty. Abraham was counted as righteous, not because he kept the law of Moses. The law of Moses had not yet been given in Abraham's time. Abraham was counted as righteous, not because of his circumcision. Abraham had not yet been circumcised. Abraham was not counted as righteous because he was such a righteous person. He wasn't. He was counted righteous, or in other words, he was justified solely because he believed God. As the New Testament scholar Scott McKnight puts it, Abraham was accepted by God solely because he surrendered his entire life to God's promise. That's what it means to believe God. And Paul says that this promise, the gospel, was given to Abraham was that all nations will be blessed through you. Now remember that the word nations and Gentiles are the same word in Greek and Hebrew. The word nations or Gentiles refers to all non-Jews. Non-Jews will be blessed through you, Abraham. I'm sure Abraham had no clue what God meant by that. We'll come back to it later. In verse 7, Paul adds, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now, we might push back and say, wait a minute, Paul. The children of Abraham are the Jews, the physical descendants of Abraham, not Gentiles who believe. But when we studied Genesis, we found out that it wasn't just Abraham's physical descendants who received the blessing of Abraham. Even the non-Jewish servants who were part of Abraham's extended family were blessed with Abraham. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Jesus is a physical descendant of Abraham, and all those who are servants of Christ by faith are adopted into his family, so to speak, and inherit the blessing of Abraham. But I'm getting ahead of the story. Paul will talk about that more later in the letter. Anyway, this blessing promised to Abraham comes to us by faith in Christ, not because of any good things we do. Verses 10 to 14, 
Paul then talks about how the Mosaic law that was given on Mount Sinai fits into all of this. Paul writes, For all those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given through Ab- to Abraham might come to Gentiles through faith in Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. When Paul talks about all who rely on works of the law in verse 10, he is specifically referring to those who say that you must obey the law of Moses and men must be circumcised in order to be saved. The broader application, however, is that anyone who relies on any good work they do in order to be saved falls under the curse. But what curse is that, Paul? In verse 10, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27, which says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Obedience to the law of Moses must be perfect. Of course, no one could ever keep the law of Moses perfectly, which is why there were sacrifices to atone or cover for people's sins when they failed. But after the final sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God would no longer accept the sacrifices of sheep and goats as atonement or covering for sin. So if the Galatians were to rely on keeping the law of Moses to be saved, they would fall under the curse of having to keep the law of Moses perfectly in order to be saved, which no one can do. And the sacrifices of sheep and goats could no longer help them. But there was another curse. In verse 13, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 21, which says, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Back in Old Testament times, people were executed, and then their dead body was hung up as a sign to everyone that they had been executed as a cursed lawbreaker. This didn't mean everyone who was hung up this way was a cursed lawbreaker, just that that's what such hanging symbolized. Before Paul was saved, one reason he probably thought Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah was because Jesus was hung up on a cross. That signified that he was a cursed lawbreaker. What Paul didn't understand until he got saved is that Jesus was fulfilling Isaiah 53, which spoke of the Messiah dying for us, taking the curse in our place. You might say he redeemed us. He rescued us from that curse. Paul explains in verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through faith in Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I believe the promise of the Spirit here is the promise God gave to Abraham that in him all the nations or Gentiles would be blessed. Abraham had no way of knowing what that blessing would be, But God would later make it more clear through his prophets and apostles. 
that blessing involved numerous things, one of which was the blessing of forgiveness of sins and peace with God through Jesus Christ. Another one is the promise of an inheritance in a future kingdom of peace and righteousness over which Jesus himself would rule. A kingdom in which there would be no more inflation or poverty, wars, crime, sickness, or suffering. Now, Jews in Paul's day might have objected by saying, okay, Paul, but even if some people were saved by faith in Abraham's time, that was before the law of Moses was given. After the law of Moses, obedience to that law was required in order to be saved. I think this objection may be one reason that in verse 11, Paul quoted from Habakkuk 2, which says the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk lived long after the law of Moses had been given, but people were still counted righteous by faith, even after the law of Moses had been given. Okay, this has been pretty deep theological water this morning. So in case I lost everyone, here's the point in a nutshell. Paul begins by showing the Galatians by their own experience of miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. That showed that they had been saved by faith and not by keeping the law of Moses. Paul then shows that the scripture, our Old Testament, taught that salvation was by faith and that the promised blessing given to Abraham by faith is also received by Gentiles who give their hearts and lives to Jesus in faith. I've got only one lesson this morning. and That is that we are saved by grace, something free, unearned, and undeserved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Nothing we could ever do helps to merit or earn this grace. Now, some may be thinking, okay, pastor, we're saved by grace through faith. You've made that point over and over and over again. We get it. Can we just move on? No, we can't. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. So it will come up almost every Sunday until we finish Galatians. The practical application is that if you think you are good enough for heaven, you've missed the whole point of the gospel. None of us are good enough. I've read that this is a particularly difficult message for many unchurched young generation folks that have been taught from their earliest ages that all of them are good, even if they have bad behavior. They've been taught that they're all worthy and deserving and that they deserve a reward even if they didn't win a race. Many, therefore, have a particularly difficult time admitting that they are guilty sinners in need of salvation. In fact, many today hate that message and even mock it. They think it's hateful to say they are sinners. But that is biblical truth. So if you get nothing else out of the sermon this morning, here's the bottom line. A person will never be saved from the wrath of God at the final judgment unless they come to a place of fully acknowledging the seriousness of their sin and rebellion against an unfathomably holy God. A person will never be saved until they finally realize that their salvation is totally by God's grace, his free gift, unearned and undeserved, that comes solely by faith in Christ. But if we have repented of our sinful rebellion and have faith in Christ, 
that heart of loving devotion and dedication to him above all else. God declares our sins to be forgiven and we are justified or placed in right standing before God. God then sees us through the lens of Jesus' righteousness. In other words, even though I am guilty, in God's eyes, it is just as if I never sinned because Jesus himself paid our penalty. Let's pray. Lord, for all those here this morning who are saved by your grace, give us a new appreciation for that amazing grace. And if there's anyone here this morning who has never repented of their sin and devoted their heart and life to you in faith as their ultimate king over all kings and lord over all lords, change their heart, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.